Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time and range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. That means no more waiting for quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, everyone. Josh and Chuck here to remind you that our last three shows of the year, and boy, this is a good show this year, are taking place very soon and tickets are still available. Yeah, so get in the saddle and come out and see us partners in Orlando Atlanta, and Nashville. Just go to StuffYouShouldKnow.com and click on the tour link, and you can get all your tickets right there. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast again. Right, Chuck? That's right, everybody. Uh, This was a very strange case, uh, very rare, in which we actually recorded an entire episode, again, that we had already recorded. It was my fault for picking it, but to be fair, nobody else noticed either. (laughs) Nope, not at all. Uh, But we decided to release this anyway because we listened to the episodes and we thought it was kind of fun and it might be uh, kind of like a live in lore as a bit of a stuff you should know Easter egg, right? Yeah, exactly. And we really wish we could say it was unique rather than just rare, but this is the second time we've done this. See our Black Holes episodes. (laughs) That's right. So here we go again, everybody, with the birth order episode round two. We hope you like it. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and Jerry's here. And you put the three of us together, you got a pretty good sip ship going. Zip ship. Is that a word? Oh, you didn't read that one thing I sent you? I did, but I didn't uh, I didn't pick out that word. Yes, yeah, sib ship. It is the total siblings in a family. I love that. Isn't that neat? Yeah. And you can have high sib ships. That means your parents got it on a bunch of times without any protection. <laughs> the second is the uh, low sib ship, which means your parents were maybe a little cold to one another. And then the third one, the mid-sib ship, which I just made up, but I like threes. <laughs> or low means they uh, they got it on a lot, but, you know, used protection. Yeah, or they're highly intelligent and don't want to ruin the planet with extra people. <laughs> <laughs> That's another possible interpretation. I'm sure you won't hear about that one at all. No, definitely not. <laughs> it's not me. I'm talking about the uh, the people who are into that kind of thinking. Other people. I can't remember. There's a society for that, and I cannot. Oh, the um, something for it's like Society for Human Extinction. 
They're like, yeah, we don't want to kill anybody alive, but we just want right. to stop reproducing because we're ruining the planet. I can't remember the name of them. I wonder if it's a name that has an acronym that just spells, ugh. <laughs> it spells, die, die, die. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Chuck, I'm excited about this one. This is a good pick from you. And Thank it you. was a great assist from our friend Dave Ruse. And... um we're talking about birth order, and it's one of those things that, like, everybody knows birth order. I mean, it was even on the Brady Bunch. Like, Jan was clearly the middle child. Oh, yeah. The middle daughter, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and really kind of bore that chip on her shoulder. Yeah. Uh, little Bobby Brady, he was the uh, youngest, and he was often neglected as yeah. a result. He had to kind of make his own way and find out that he was really into pork chops and applesauce. <laughs> And so on and so forth, right? So everybody knows about birth order. But it turns out, I didn't realize this, it's had a long history of being presented scientifically yeah. mm-hmm. and then refuted scientifically. And then yeah. it'll come back again. And then it's gone again. And then it's going to come back at you one more time. Kind of like that. Yeah. So we're going to go over those ups and downs. Uh, I'm sure we'll toss in our own opinions here and there that have no basis in science. <laughs> sure. Uh, because I have a, as everyone knows, I'm the youngest. I know. I have an older brother that's three years older. Yep. Uh, Scott, that we've talked about a lot. So great. Uh, he's the best. And I have a sister that is uh, six years older. Uh-huh. Uh, she is the eldest, mm-hmm. my sister Michelle. She's mm-hmm. also great. Yep. And so it's like, uh, you know, three years apart, three years apart, no- nothing. Because uh, I think some of this stuff can be sort of taken with a grain of salt, like if you have you know, the surprise baby that's, you know, 14 years younger than anyone else in your family. <laughs> yeah. uh, things might, you know, be different. And then some people say it makes no difference at all uh, about your eventual personality. Right. But um, I guess to recap, we should just go up over how it typically breaks down, mm-hmm. which is if you're the firstborn, uh, then people will say, oh, you're probably going to be bossier. Um, you're probably going to be an overachiever, maybe a perfectionist, mm-hmm. maybe a little neurotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're the middle child... Or the second born, um, you're probably going to be a peacemaker and a people pleaser. And then if you're the baby of the family, then you're just a little spoiled brat. But you're probably going to be adventurous because you were left to your own devices right. and you answer to nobody. So you just you just go off and uh, join the Peace Corps or something. Sure. Um, then there's also only children, which are kind of their no, own we, thing. But they yeah, we should do a whole thing on onlys. I think. Sure. They they very much resemble of the other um, ones. They much more resemble a firstborn child. Yeah, but a weirder version of a firstborn. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, is like all of this sounds totally true and obvious, but it just is not fully borne out in the research. It's kind of Dave compares it to a horoscope, where you can kind of see yourself or your siblings in. You know, any one of these things, they just kind of make sense. And we have this um, selection bias and confirmation bias where we just pick out the stuff that that agrees with us. And we ignore the the points about, say, a middle child or a, a firstborn child that don't quite fit. We just kind of discard that stuff. And because all of us um, have some form of family, typically, um, we all have like anecdotal experience with that. And even if you don't have a family, you're probably a friend of somebody who has a family. So you've observed it yourself. So that means that it's just supported that much more through your own experience, which means it's been really hard to shake. That's right. 
uh, in that horoscope thing. Not to say Dave is not a free thinker, but a lot of people compare it to horoscopes, mm-hmm. as it turns out. Yeah, and another thing you can call it is pop psychology for sure. Yeah. Because so, pops um, love it. <laughs> Uh, we should go back to the beginning, I guess, uh, which is to say the 19th century, mm-hmm. as far as the science on birth order goes, uh, to 1874 with someone named, that we've talked about a few times on the show, uh, Francis Galton. Uh, I know that we talked about Galton on episodes where he talked about eugenics. Sure. But I'm sure other things have come up as well. Yeah, he was a polymath, but he was well known for eugenics, genetics. He um, he uh, came up with a fingerprinting catalogs. Mm-hmm. Like, he did all sorts of stuff. That's right. So he uh, was the half-cousin of Charles Darwin, and he had a book called English Men of Science. Um, kind of sounds like real men of genius. I was going to say it was adapted into a series of Bud Light commercials later. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Uh, <laughs> colon, of course, uh, Their Nature and Nurture, in which he he basically was kind of keen to investigate the origin of, of genius so what better place to go uh, than to study the gentlemen of the Royal Society, mm-hmm. uh, Royal Society of London, uh, the oldest scientific academy in the world. And he got 99 guys. Uh, it's very strange that he didn't get 100, but he didn't get 100. Mm-hmm. And he did a lot of research and got a lot of data on these gentlemen, uh, including uh, birth order stuff. Yeah, but also mother's hair color. He measured their heads. He really went to town on these 99 Englishmen of science. And what he found out when he kind of crunched all the data was that 61 of the 99 members that he profiled of the Royal Society um, were among the oldest uh, in their family. They were Mm -hmm. either only children, only sons, I should say. They were only, or they were eldest sons, or if they were middle-born, they were toward the top of the middle-born, the the earlier side of the middle-born cohort. That's right. And if, if there was no effect on birth order and genius, then it should have been basically 45 and a half, 45 and a half. Right. <laughs> and spare a thought for those poor half people. That's right. And what about the other 10% though? Uh, I think that's, uh, that's Jerry. Okay. <laughs> so. Oh, oh, wait. Wait. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So no. No. Yeah. Forty? Did I say forty-nine and a half or forty-five and a half? Well, what, okay. what do you think? <laughs> Let me rephrase that and say forty-nine and a half. Okay. Okay. I got you because you came up with uh, ninety-one. I did, I sh- didn't I? Yeah. So I got it wrong too. I said, "What about those ten people?" It was really nine people. Yeah. Plus you so said ten percent. So this whole thing was screwed up, right? Just <laughs> royally. Uh, all right. So he concluded based on this, uh, and this is a quote that I would. I don't know if you take requests, but I, I would love for you to read this in the voice of Smeagol. <laughs> <laughs> I was can we not bring it? Can we dust that. him off? <laughs> okay. Let's see. Do you um, remember? I think I do. Um, so, I mean, I like to think Smeagol lives in you in some way. A little bit. Okay. So he said that, um, oh, man. <laughs> <clears throat> Elder sons have, on the whole, decided advantages of nurture over the younger ones. They are treated more as companions by their parents and have earlier responsibility, both of which would develop independence of character. And in less well-to-do families, the oldest child has the advantage of better nourishment 
in his infancy compared to the later born siblings. <laughs> Pretty close. I feel like that was Smeagol's uh, brother. <laughs> Spiegel? Spiegel and Smeagol. <laughs> Not bad, though. Uh, so, How do you even remember what Smeagol sounds like? I, I listen to that every night. That's my, <laughs> okay. That's my go-to-bed music. That makes sense. So if you were too uh, disadvantaged in being thrown off by Josh's uh, hilarious reading, <laughs> just a quick recap basically is if you're the oldest, then you have an advantage because you're like your parents' buddy. You got a lot more responsibility, mm-hmm. so you're going to be more independent. Uh, and then if you're a family that's maybe doesn't have as much money, then if you're the oldest, then you're going to you're gonna get the chicken on the table and not be fighting for that chicken. Yeah. Uh, like your little brothers and sisters will be. Especially in infancy because you were the only one. So you got all the baby food. Yeah. This doesn't sound – I mean, I know a lot of this poo-poos the science, mm-hmm. but this doesn't sound wildly unreasonable to me as a, you know. Thought. No. It's echoed still today in our yeah. ideas of birth order and explaining it. Um, so that was Francis Galton. We'll leave him. Um, and I think probably until, I guess about the, actually not that far after, I think he was speaking, he wrote in what the um, last quarter of the, the 19th century, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, just less than 50 years later, a guy named Alfred Adler, who was a psychologist, um, kind of picked that up. And ran with it. Not just entirely birth order, but birth order was a part of his larger theory called Adlerian psychology or individual psychology. And there were basically three founders of, of psychotherapy as we know it today. There was Adler, Freud, and Jung. And Freud and Jung's ideas have been largely dismissed. Alfred Adler's ideas are basically the premise for how we approach psychology today. Yeah, and he's a he was an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a colleague of Freud, and I think through history, uh, it seems obvious that a lot of people have um, kind of said like he was an acolyte or Freud was his mentor. And he went through great pains over the years to say he called me first. <laughs> like he would go to reporters mm-hmm. and and say, "Look, here's a telegram where Freud got in touch with me and wanted to talk to me." Oh, he was like that, huh? Well, I just think he had a little bit of a, a sort of maybe younger sibling syndrome. Sure. Uh, and that will, you know, you'll see that kind of plays out a little bit in his own sibling dynamic yeah, in his research. His older brother was named Sigmund, too. So he yeah, might have so. been Freudian. He might have been Freudian Freud. on Freud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were together, he and Freud, for about nine years studying. But then when they split apart, and some people say that it had a lot to do with this sibling uh uh, dynamic and birth order thing. Mm-hmm. I think it was more complicated than that. Definitely. But they never talked again after that. No, they split like they up. were done. Yep. But Adler's ideas went on. It's definitely worth looking into. He basically says that the whole, the whole um, basis of our individual psychology comes out of our social interactions. Mm-hmm. We learn how to approach life and the world through our interactions early on with our family. That's mm-hmm. he called that our lifestyle. Um, there's a, a web of interactions between parents and kids and, and also among siblings. He called the family constellation. And then he also said that, like, basically the point of life was to be a good contributing member of a society that is working toward positivity and equality. He was way ahead of his time because this guy yeah. was writing 100 years ago. And now we're just starting to adopt his philosophies as, like, 
not just valid, like that's the point of individual psychology. Yeah. Um, he has a good quote, too. And again, this seems very reasonable to me mm -hmm. uh, when he says, uh, it is a common fallacy to imagine that children of the same family are formed in the same environment. Of course, there's much which is the same for all in the same home, but the psychic situation of each child is individual and differs from that of others because of the order of their succession. Yeah. So he's basically saying something that, like you said, a lot of people hang their hat on, which is like, hey, just because you grew up in the same house doesn't mean you grew up in the same house. You know what I mean? Exactly. And he gave an example of that that kind of really figured into his theory about birth order, um, which was to him another big driver of personality that came out of the early experience in the family is that um, especially older and middle children, or ac actually, I guess, older and middle children only, um, went through the trauma of being dethroned. Yeah. They were, you know, at one point, if you were the firstborn, the only one, and then all of a sudden another one comes along and you're not the shining star of your parents' universe any longer. That's you have right. to share that with somebody. And he identified that as a trauma and that that alone would significantly contribute to a child's personality, and that was based on birth order. All right. Boy, that's a great setup, I think. Yep. So let's take a break, yes? Yes. Smeagol, what do you think? Yes. Perfect. And we're going to come back and break down his thoughts on this whole dethroning and what that meant right after this. Hey everyone, the Easter Bunny is coming early this year. That's right, Easter is Sunday, March 31st, and with free in-store pickups, CVS makes it easy to get everything you need for brilliant baskets and happier hunts. You can find delightful toys, Peeps-themed egg decorators, pre-filled Easter eggs packed with goodies, and so much more. So hop to it and get your order fast with free CVS pickup. Visit cvs.com Easter for details. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All oh, my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey everybody, we want to tell you that eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential. Through some elbow grease, some fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Kudos to you. That's right. Look to your left, look to your right. Yep, no one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your car stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Yeah, brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so uh, this isn't that much different as far as what birth order means, but it's a little more specific to his own uh, findings and thoughts on the matter. So uh, if you're oldest, like you said, you're dethroned um, once there's a sibling below you. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, there's a chance you might become a problem because you're trying to get that attention again. You might act out. Uh, You will likely feel responsible for your younger siblings as if you're a parent. Yeah. Uh, that that can make you pretty neurotic. For so sure. So that checks that box. Yeah. And you really may act as a parent. You may kind of help raise the kids, especially back then when the parents are away or the parents are busy. You might be that parental authority in a lot of cases. So you may have a positive a, a view of authority. And because of all of this stuff, you're probably going to be pretty hardworking. And you, that perfectionist thing comes in pretty conscientious. Yes. So that's the oldest, right? That's right. Uh, next is second born. If there's two, if there's just two kids, this this applies to them. Um, they they are constantly keeping up or trying to compete with the older sibling. Mm-hmm. So life is a little bit exhausting. And this is something that um, Adler himself went through with his older brother Sigmund. Um, he uh, as a, he kind of identified the older sibling then having more of an influence in some cases than the actual parents do on the child's development, which makes a lot of sense, too, because sure. that older child is being a mini-parent to the second child. Right. Uh, if, the, if the kid's finding, like, they just constantly are being beat uh, by, the, by the older sibling who doesn't even seem to be aware that they're in a competition and they're still uh-huh. winning, they might just go off in a totally different direction. And whatever they've identified the older sibling to be, uh, Alex P. Keaton, young Republican right. type, they're going right. to go the exact opposite way and start following the Grateful Dead. Like Tina Yothers did. <laughs> exactly. Man, What's that name. name? On the show? It doesn't matter. Tina Yothers, it's the yeah. ultimate name. <laughs> uh, it was, um, there's Mallory, Alex, and... Tina Yothers. <sighs> yeah, if they didn't use Tina Yothers, I think that was a big miss that the writers walked past. I know, and that sh- they should only have called her by Teeny Others, not Tina. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and then, like, in the credits, it says, Teeny Others, as Tina Others. Yeah, as herself. <laughs> uh, so, we mentioned earlier, I think I did, about um, Adler's own uh, situation at home. And it turns out, beyond Freud, um, he had an actual older brother, like you said, whose name was Sigmund. Mm-hmm. And he he sort of had issues with it. He always was trying to live up to this older brother, Sigmund, uh, complained about it a lot, it seemed like. I think there was a biographer uh, when he was uh, a little bit older where he said, my eldest brother, he was always ahead of me. He's still ahead of me. (laughs) Which is true. He's never going to catch up to his eldest brother, at least in birth order. Well, that's right. He also had two younger brothers. One uh, adored Adler, kind of bucked the trend. Mm-hmm. The other one um, felt competitive with Adler. So he, he was in the position that Adler was with Sigmund. Yeah. Uh, the middle child, so say you're, you're having, you're, your parents are just hitting it fast and loose and they're having more and more children. The middle yeah. children are going to have their own kind of baggage to carry around. Um, they're frequently, they frequently feel forgotten, ignored, yeah. neglected, Jam Brady-ish. 
Uh, mm-hmm. They may be. They may decide that life is extraordinarily unfair, that they're invisible, and that might really make them neurotic in their own way. Uh, and then this really makes a lot of sense to me too. Um, they, they may find that family constellation that Adler said was so important in your development and in your youth mm-hmm. uh, elsewhere, outside of the family. They're, they're the kid that goes off and is like, yeah, whatever, you guys have your fun little you know, family barbecue. I'm going to go hang out at my friend's house instead. I like their family more. Yeah, which is interesting because I think that flies in the face a little bit of the typical middle child thing of being a people pleaser and a uniter. Mm. Uh, yeah. That's funny because I think of the younger child as a people pleaser. Oh, really? Because mm-hmm. that's usually the middle child thing. This is the thing. This is where it exactly. starts to fall apart. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, because also in my family, like, you know, my sister, she did fine in school. I did fine in school. But my brother was, like, right in the middle, and he was the – he's the really smart guy. Sure, yeah. Scott. So he set the bar as number two. Mm-hmm. But I also felt like – I never felt like I had to live up to that. Oh, that's good. That's healthy and lucky. Lucky, because I didn't strive to. I wasn't like, no, I can't be as smart as Scott, so I'll just do my own thing. I just didn't really think about it. And my parents, well, I was about to say they didn't put that kind of pressure on me, but they just, there was uh, not a lot of attention on me by the time I came around. No, yeah, so you could just kind of do your own thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So, uh, well, here we are then at the youngest. I'm talking about myself. uh, Pampered and spoiled, Mm -hmm. which I was not, uh, because less is expected um, like we mentioned earlier, you're probably going to be a little more adventurous. Uh, I definitely was more adventurous uh, and as sort of the black sheep of my family, but I don't think it was because less is expected of me. Um, and then, you know, Adler at the end talks about how uh, the successful men of our time, and I think of, of all times, oftentimes were the youngest. Uh, and he mentions like people in the Bible, and he even mentions, this is where he loses me a little bit, definitely. he mentions fairy tales, and I'm like, so the people in these made-up stories, uh, the youngest were more successful. So that means something to science? Right. Yeah, that's where I actually wrote careful, Adler, after that. Because yeah. he got, you know, he had some really great theories. And then one of the big problems of early 20th century psychologists is they just look out in places that didn't really apply and yeah. use them as proof. And that's a good example of that. Because his theories are very sound and they make a lot sure. of sense. They're well thought out. It's just... You don't run out to the Bible t- to prove your point. It doesn't. That's not how science works typically. Yeah, look at King David. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then we're at only children, which okay, we'll do a, a whole uh, episode on them. But they have maybe they, yeah. they have the advantage of um, being the sole um, recipient of their parents' attention and focus and love and adoration, just like a firstborn child. But they never go through the trauma of being mm-hmm. dethroned. Um, so they are basically little kings and queens who run yeah, the they show. they stay on top. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a king who's not dethroned exactly. stays a king. Exactly, that's true. And uh, Adler wrote that they retain the center of the stage without effort. They're generally pampered, and they form a style of life based on being supported by others and at the same time <laughs> ruling them. Great combination. Yeah, totally. Uh, Hodgman talks a lot about being an only child. It's very funny to hear him mm-hmm. muse on this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so these theories were out there um, in the 1920s, uh, basically through, for about 60-something years, it was sort of just commonly accepted that this was the case. They, they had done studies that backed up a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a funny thing happened in the 1980s, 
In fact, in 1983, there were a couple of Swiss psychologists, uh, Jules Angst and Cecil Ernst, and they said, you know what? This is all poo-poo, and uh, we're going to write our own book called Birth Order, colon, It's Poo-Poo. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, it's Birth Order, uh, It's Influence on Personality. Right. And they went back, looked at all these studies, like 1,500 studies from the mid-40s to 1980. A lot of these studies had, had you know, backed up Adler's theories and stuff like this. Uh, but they said, you know what? The closer we look, the more we pick this apart, there are a lot of fallacies in here. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of methodological pitfalls. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, I think that there is, like, birth order effect really doesn't have anything to do with personality, or at least no much more than anything else that we could kind of find out. Yeah, they definitely poo-pooed it. One of the examples they gave um, was that uh, there was a meta-analysis of previous um, previous studies of birth order findings, um, which means that it's a they compiled a bunch of findings from a bunch of different studies and applied statistical analysis of it. They turned these smaller sample sizes into one large sample size. And, of course, it found a po- positive correlation between um, the uh, the birth order and personality traits, but mm-hmm. the the those particular researchers said, well, we didn't actually include any studies that didn't find a positive correlation between birth order and personality traits. We only studied ones that did show that. That's like that's that some junk science right there, and that's the kind of thing that Angst and Ernst were saying. Like the, this is the quality of the studies heretofore, and when you really look at the methodology and all the, like their findings, like it just does not add up. You can't replicate them. Yeah. They, in fact, they had a pretty sick burn. Uh, they called it post hoc theory, mm-hmm. which is basically like you can go into these studies and you can find whatever you're looking for if you kind of just pick apart different parts of it yeah. and cherry pick different parts of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they use one uh, good example they use was uh, anxiety and which children in a family had the uh, highest anxiety levels and reported those levels. And they said, you know, if you look, if you're Adler or others, um, you have an explanation for all of them. So if if it's the youngest, it's because um, you're the weakest sibling, which, is that true? I think they mean physically your older siblings are generally bigger and stronger than you. Is that true? Typically, sure. I mean, compare like a, a shrimpy four-year-old to a 10-year-old. 10-year-old's going to oh. beat up on the four-year-old any day of the week. Well, we'll get to the snapshot in time thing because I thought I thought they meant overall. Right. Like I grew up to be the smallest and weakest. No, but yeah, you just touched on a huge problem that we'll get to yeah. later. Don't blow it now. I didn't. I said put a pin in it in <laughs> my brain. Okay. Uh, if the oldest of the family reported being the most an- uh, anxious, mm-hmm. then... They said, oh, well, it's because they had an inexperienced mother. Um, and if it was the middle, it was because they were neglected. So they're like, you, you can't do that. That's not science. Right, exactly. And they pretty much definitively removed birth order influencing personality as a, a field of psychology. Like, psychology turned its back on that. And that was it for a dozen years, essentially, maybe a little more. Um, mm-hmm. But before their book, or Angst and Ernst's book came out uh, back in the 70s, I think actually 1970, there was a psychologist named Frank Soloway. He was, uh, he was working on his doctorate, I think, uh, at the time. And he had a professor that, that was into birth order. Uh, as mm-hmm. this, this was, again, this is before the Swiss um, study, the Swiss book came out. It made Swiss cheese a birth order. Uh-huh. 
Um, and the, the Soloway's professor said, uh, you know what, Charles Darwin, let's just talk about Darwin for a second. He said, sit mm. down, Soloway, sit down. I've been wanting to talk to you about this. Um, Charles Darwin came up with one of the most radical theories uh, that science has ever produced mm-hmm. in, in coming up with natural selection and evolution, right? But did you know that Darwin's mentor, the person that had the greatest influence on his work, his entire career, a geologist named Charles Lyell, did not accept that, that we evolved from apes, did not accept natural selection. He could not accept it. And um, in fact, Lyell was in quite a quite a, a pickle because he prized science and reason, and his protege had just used science and reason to show that humans uh, are no different than um, than animals. And mm-hmm. Lyle was like, "No, reason is what separates us from animals." So he had a really hard time accepting that. And so Soloway's college professor pointed to Darwin being a later born and having a much more ability to think freely, and Lyle being a firstborn and thinking much more conservatively as the explanation to that very famous gulf between the two. Yeah, which is a stretch for me, (laughs) even though I think there's a lot to birth order. Uh, That one is, I don't know, it's a stretch. But Soloway was like, interesting. Let me look into this a little more. I want to see if this is... uh, is a reasonable assumption, mm-hmm. or theory at least. And he ended up writing a book in 1996 called Born to Rebel, colon, Birth Order, Family Dynamics, and Creative Lives. And he did his own meta-analysis of all of these studies that are out there. And he basically went on to poo-poo Angst and Ernst and said Adler was right all along. Um, there's a lot of uh, significance to birth order, and how it ties to your personality. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's why I think this is true. Because a child uh, occupies a niche in a family, and that niche is determined according to your birth order. So um, we're calling it birth order, but what, what it really is is a proxy for what the real things are behind this, which is how big you are, what's your status in that family, what, what is your power dynamic in that family. Mm-hmm. What's the age difference and stuff like that? Right, and that those are the things that really influence your personality. But they're all they all are in the at the end of the day tied into birth order. It's just not birth order in and of itself, but the qualities that come with birth order, right? Yeah, which uh, seems like splitting hairs, but maybe no one had split that hair yet. I mean, it makes sense to me. It it definitely removes it from any kind of like astrological stuff because birth order. If you're like, yeah, you're you're a middle child, so you're all these things. Not, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you're smaller than your older brother, so you right. uh, have a uh, you you don't like being touched kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> it, it makes sense. It takes it and actually provides an explanation to it. And by the way, I just want to point out, get this, Chuck. So he started this research in 1970, released yeah. the book in 1996, mm-hmm. right smack dab in the middle of that 25ish years of research. That Swiss book came out. Can you imagine dedicating 13 years of research and then all of a sudden some book comes along and completely disproves everything you've been working on? Yeah. But Frank Soloway was the kind to be like, no, they're wrong. I'm right. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And for him, uh, family dynamics all came down to um, a a Darwinian power struggle, basically, Mm -hmm. between these siblings for affection from their parents. Right. So, again, if you're firstborn, you're going to uh, basically act as a surrogate parent to your younger siblings, not because you have some great desire to teach those kids, 
but you're looking at mom and dad and saying like, see how much I'm helping? Like yeah. I'm helping be like little mommy or little daddy. Uh, it's, it's why they respect authority. It's why they're conscientious and it's why they identify more with parents. Uh, the younger kids, they, and again, this has uh, lacks of physical strength, I guess, presumably just cause they're younger in that snapshot in time, mm-hmm. which we'll get to. Don't spoil Don't it, Chuck. Lord. But they have, um, what he called low power strategies. So still had strategies as far as this uh, power struggle in the family, but more like, hey, let me use humor mm-hmm. or social intelligence to get their affection instead of, you know, like physical things. They were the kids um, that were more likely to spend their uh, allowance on a bow tie that spins. <laughs> Do you ever have one of those? No, I never no. did. I've, I've never I had, had a bow tie. Uh, I had it like a little clip-on bow tie for Easter, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's a thing. I know a couple of bow tie guys. I learned how to tie a bow tie for um, mine and Yumi's wedding, actually. So you wore one then? Yes. Or you're like, nah. <laughs> you right. I just practiced. Just and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't pull off a bow tie. It's not. It's not a good look for me. Oh yeah, I'd like to see that. Let me be the judge of that. Okay. All right. Okay. Will you tie it for me? I yes, I will. I know how to. I, I'm a little rusty, but I can get it back. Well, you know you got to stand behind me and wrap your arms around me and do it that way. Of course. Okay. If you do it in front, it's like it's weird. And then afterwards, we'll do that funny thing where it looks like you have four arms and I'm hiding mm-hmm. behind you. And we'll do all uh-huh. sorts of weird stuff. And then after that, I'll get behind you and teach you how to swing a golf club. Okay, fair enough. It's all in the hips. <laughs> all right, so uh, from that power dynamic to wrap it up and that power struggle, we also have the middle children. Um, and these are the ones, again— because you're in the middle, you're more likely to cooperate, you're more into diplomacy, and you're probably mediating fights between the oldest and the youngest, mm-hmm. which did not track in my family. My sister and I, my brother and I didn't fight a lot, but if there was sibling fighting going on, it was usually me and my brother because we were closer in age. Mm-hmm. My sister was six when I was born, so I was her little baby boy. Yeah. And so she and I never had a lot of like uh, fights and stuff. Gotcha. Um, so... One of the other things that that Soloway spent his time on was uh, he basically did the same thing Francis Galton did. He profiled a bunch of different people Mm -hmm. to kind of support his point. Um, I read that he he basically created a database of 6,566 historical people who were, meaning they were all dead, um, who were involved in 121 different political and scientific upheavals from the scientific, um, or sorry, from the French Revolution, the mm-hmm. Protestant Reformation, Darwin's theory of natural selection. Um, and then he looked at um, a bunch of different factors, but one of those factors was birth order. And what he found was, I saw an interview with him, he said that, yeah, there's a bunch of different stuff that influence our personality, our behavior. I think he controlled for 256 different ones, like age, yeah. religion, class, education. And he said, yes, some of those things influence our, our personality. But he said, nothing packs the wallop of birth order. He basically said, it's it's birth order, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And he gave some some examples, right? Well, yeah, I mean, if you look, if he, he, he did sort of the same thing that others have done, which is to point at famous people in history mm-hmm. and say, well, see, look at this person. They were the firstborn and they did this. Look at King David. Right. Look at King David. In this case, he said, look at, uh, look at Mussolini and look at Stalin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Stalin was not the firstborn, but his siblings died in infancy. So uh, he was sort of de facto firstborn. Yeah, they call it the psychological firstborn. That's the emphasis they put on it. 
Yeah. Um, so he said, look at these people. Uh, they were they were firstborns and they were monsters. And look at uh, Marx and Darwin and Gandhi and they were all laterborns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you start breaking it down, though, and you say, oh, well, what about like um, Isaac Newton or Einstein? Um, that goes against your idea because both of those guys were firstborns and it went against the common thinking that the laterborns were going to be the ones to come up with these revolutionary thoughts. Yeah. And he said, uh, yeah, but um, you know what? The people that supported them were two to ten times more likely to be laterborns. Right. So he did the opposite in those two cases. When he pointed to something like he said Lincoln – was a second child, and he had the, the revolutionary thinking of ending slavery. Yeah. And that's an example of basically being uh, reductivist. Like, he, he boiled down these huge historical machinations down to one individual to, right. to, point, to <laughs> prove his point, right? Yeah. Lincoln ended uh-huh. slavery, and he was a second born. Um, and then he does the opposite with, with um, examples that don't fit. Like you said, Einstein and Newton. Well, they were firstborn, but their supporters were two to ten times more likely to be later born. So now he takes it from the individual and boils it back out to the, um, a bunch of different people having to do with these revolutions in thinking. It, 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 it's pretty emblematic from what I've read of, of his argument. Yeah, and I love uh – Dave Ruse, uh, who put this together, he often inserts little jokes here and there, mm-hmm. just for us. But sometimes we like to bring them out on the show. He wrote that two to nine, ten times more likely, mm-hmm. and then put whatever, pal. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's good stuff. Yeah. So, um, born to rebel uh, was a uh, rebel. <laughs> I've been wanting to say that the whole time. Okay. Um, it should be E L L E, really, if you think about it. But okay. Um, so it became, I think, one a bestseller. It was a really popular book, despite being pretty scientific. I think it, half of it was um, scientific annotations and bibliography, but I, I believe he he wrote it in like a way that you know the average person could could digest, and it really made waves because again, he comes along thirteen years after psychology was like, okay, great, that's done. Birth order has nothing to do with anything. He said, nope. It's the most important driver of personality, everybody. So he was widely criticized for it, including by um, another controversial thinker in psychology, Judith Rich Harris. And she was um, controversial, like I said, because she was kind of tangential to the field. She was kicked out of Harvard um, during while she was working on her doctorate and uh, later on was awarded with a prestigious award that was named after the director of the psychology department who kicked her out. So she came full circle, but she was kind of considered like an outside thinker. But her whole jam was actually parents have like the least influence on kids. It's genes and peers that really shape people's individual uh, personalities. And she basically said, no, Soloway is just totally full of it. And this doesn't hold water at all. Yeah. And she had her own sick burn. Yeah. That I think was sicker than the earliest sick burn. Uh, She said, quote, it is never surprising when the originator of a theory produces evidence that supports the theory. The real test of a theory is whether other people working independently of the originator of the theory produce evidence that supports it. Ouch. Pretty good burn. It is a great burn. So um, I say we take our second break because that basically puts Sol away, in, away for, for now. Um, right. This was 96, and he got shouted down typically. But – his work definitely brought it back into the popular mainstream, which is why still today you see like parenting sites and psychology sites like referring to the stuff as if it's true and real. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'd say we move on 
and uh, we use an ad break as a transition for that. Let's do it. Hey everyone, the Easter Bunny is coming early this year. That's right, Easter is Sunday, March 31st. And with free in-store pickups, CVS makes it easy to get everything you need for brilliant baskets and happier hunts. You can find delightful toys, Peeps-themed egg decorators, pre-filled Easter eggs packed with goodies, and so much more. So hop to it and get your order fast with free CVS pickup. Visit cvs.com Easter for details. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey, everybody. We want to tell you that eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential. Through some elbow grease, some fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Kudos to you. That's right. Look to your left. Look to your right. Yep. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your car stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Yeah, brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, so Soloway really ruffled a lot of feathers, uh, and it took another decade or two before people finally like got around to conducting about as legitimate a meta-analysis of previous studies that you could possibly do, or they, they compiled their own studies based on really large sample sizes. Because if birth order is a thing, and birth order applies to everybody, including only children— then if you get a bunch of people together, birth order is going to show up in way sh- some way, shape, or form because it's there among everybody. It's not like yeah. some people have some sort of birth order. Everybody who's ever born has some sort of ranking, even only children. And yet, when you look at really good data using really good methodology, it just does not come to the surface. That's right. Uh, this one was very large in 2015. It looked at um, data from 377,000 high school students in the United States, mm-hmm. 
then there was another study in the same year that analyzed data from uh, about 20,000 students in, in Europe, in Germany, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well, and U.K. And there were a couple of psychologists, uh, Radhika Damian and Brent W. Roberts, uh, from the Fighting Illini oh, yes. of the University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what an Illini is. Uh, it's an Illinoisanite. Is it? I don't know. All right. That sounds about right. Okay. But they fight. I know that. <laughs> right. They're always fighting. Uh, but they um, they isolated. They tried to do you know controls for everything as well. And they looked at everything, which included, of course, uh, birth order and then, you know, the the sex of the of the kid and the number of siblings. Sibship size. Socioeconomics of it all. And all this stuff. And they basically said, this is the largest study that we've ever done, the most sophisticated of its kind. And there is little to no functional relation between birth order and personality. Like, full stop. Right. Yeah, full stop is right. Uh, and those same psychologists, Damien and Roberts, they wrote something. They wrote basically like an editorial in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which also published their study of the 377,000 high school students. That is such a huge sample size. Um, and they basically said in this editorial letter, here are all the problems from the previous study. There's just flaws galore. And they basically divided the types of studies for uh, examining birth order into two different categories. There was the between-family study design and the within-family study design. And the between-family study design said uh, it just looked at a bunch of people who weren't related and then polled them about their birth order and then looked at their individual personality traits. Within-family design looked at the actual members of a single family or multiple single families and then examined the personality traits based on their birth order in relation to the other uh, members of their family, their sibship. Yeah, and and it seemed to hold a lot more water when you just looked at um, the the family designs within a family mm-hmm. and not between a bunch of these different families. Like, this is when it started to make sense a little more for me. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't, I don't feel it's too horoscopy to see that there's a lot of correlation between some of these traits. Right. But if the science doesn't hold up, then it, it, it's just anecdotal, basically. Well, what they were saying was, so, like, if you're looking at a between-family design, you're not taking into um, account, typically, the number of siblings total. You're just taking account the, the birth order. And that they're saying that um, if you look at something like uh, the number of firstborns versus laterborns, there's more laterborns than firstborns. There's only one firstborn in a family, but there can be multiple laterborns, Right. And that firstborns typically are smarter. They're, they have a higher IQ. That we'll get to in a second is actually true. And that a lot of it has to do with uh, fam- th- them coming from families of high socioeconomic status. Uh, and that that's not controlled for. If you don't control for the sibship size, then your, your methodology is just crud. That was just one of, of multiple um, problems they had with it. Yeah. And if you're the – what if you're from a large Catholic family of like eight kids mm-hmm. – and you're seven, six of eight, or five of eight. Mm-hmm. Like, does all this stuff just go out the door at that point? Uh, so if, if birth order is is uh, true, then then no, it wouldn't. Like, there you would have multiples in the middle, like sharing similar traits. I would guess. Right. But that's not okay. the case. And then they they did another uh, little victory lap, and they basically said, oh, there's a couple of other things that are sacred cows in the field of birth order and personality. One is. That it's it's um, 
it differs by gender. That birth order personality traits show up way more in, in males than females. And they were like, nope, that's not true at all. We, we studied that in, as part of this meta-analysis. Nope, it's not correct. The other one is that, okay, birth order really starts to get diluted when you um, look at the full range of siblings in a family, mm-hmm. especially if there's you know a decade or more in between the oldest and the youngest, because really birth order only shows up between siblings that are separated by no more than five years. So it gets diluted if you look at the whole thing. And they said, nope, we shrunk everything down to just five-year uh, gaps between um, siblings, tops, and it still did not show up. So they just absolutely trounced on the theory in every single way they could using the best data and the best methodology. And they said, guys, it just it's not real. Can we please stop talking about this? Yeah, and, I, and someone else is going to come along because people can't stop talking about and researching birth order. It's true. Yeah, look for it. It really is because as I was doing this, I was sort of into thinking about if I felt this is true or not or what about my family. And then I was like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. And that's, I guess, why it's pop psychology to a certain degree. I mean, these findings are sort of interesting, I guess, but it, what's the, the end game as far as what are we really learning? Yeah. Uh, as far as like what makes it us better families or better as a as a human race, like probably nothing. Well, to me, it's it's an example of that um, t- that that trait of twentieth century science. That's like a compulsion to find the mm-hmm. one reason that something happens. Yeah, and this is a great example of that. But it's also again, I think it's because we're we're all like confronted one way or another with birth order and have made our own observations. So it's, it's just kind of a, almost a folk psychology, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, so we were going to talk about IQ because uh, it is true that when you look at the, the data and the numbers, mm-hmm. that firstborns uh, score highest on IQ tests. Right. Um, it's not a lot. Uh, what I found was like a point. So it's not some huge difference. On average, I don't think. It's not a shameful difference. It's not a shameful difference, but it was there. And there's a guy that has a really interesting uh, take on all this. His, uh, his name was James, I don't, I don't know how you would say it, Zajonk is the only way I can say it. Yeah. That's what, what people call him in the bars, probably. Z-A-J-O-N-C. Zayonk. Zayonk. Oh, Zayonk? I'm going with James Zayonk. Right. And the whole the whole name flows like teeny others, James A. Young. It, it does, the, the youngster. Yeah. So uh, he, he looked at SAT scores. I, I found this pretty interesting, actually. Uh, he started in 1967 when there was a big drop in verbal SAT scores uh, that went on for about 10 years. And, of course, people at the time were saying, oh, it's because of this, it's because of that, it's because these children these days, our society is just going down the drain, mm-hmm. people are getting dumber. But uh, later than that, about 10 years later, in 76, he said, here's what I predict. SAT scores are going to continue to go down for about four more years. And then in 1980, they're going to start to go up again. Mm -hmm. And this is why, everybody, because there was a baby boom in our country. And there were a lot of firstborn children because of that baby boom that were born in 1949. Uh, So that means they would be taking the SAT in about 1967. That's when scores peaked because firstborns, as we all know, are smarter. And then as each successive child is born from 67 on, they're not going to be as smart. And so these SAT scores are going to go down. Mm -hmm. But once we hit 1980, it all resets. 
because that baby boom stopped in 62. Mm -hmm. And if you were born in 62, you're going to take the SAT in 1980. So these scores are going to go back up. And they did. Yeah. Because between 1949 and 1962, there was it was much likelier that you were a second born than a first born compared to the, uh, the beginning of the baby boomer. So he basically just dropped the mic right there because it turned out that that's exactly what happened. Like his prediction came true. And what he showed was like, yep, birth order has to do with IQ. It's just as simple as that. It was later followed up or supported by a, a study from the Netherlands of 400,000 military recruits. They found the same thing uh, with IQ score. Remember, the SAT test used to test your IQ. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, what did I come up with? Zionk? Yeah. Sure. James Zionk. Yeah. He had a pretty neat theory or an explanation or hypothesis of why that would be true. And he said that it was based on what we talked about earlier, that if you're an older sibling, even like a second-born sibling, as long as you're not the baby, um, you have the uh, ability or you have the opportunity, I mean, to teach somebody else. And to teach stuff, you have to know stuff. You have to be paying yeah. attention. You have to be aware. You have to be absorbing information. And that um, you have less and less of an opportunity to teach as more and more kids are born because you're, you're sharing that function with other second or later born kids. And then mm -hmm. if you're the baby, you have no opportunity to teach. So you're just the dumbest of the bunch, essentially, at least as far as the Yonks theory went. Uh, and again, it's backed up by SAT and IQ scores. But thankfully, you're saying that it's not that ridiculous of a difference between firstborn and lastborn. Yeah, I think that teaching function carries a little weight. Definitely. It makes sense, at least. Yeah, it makes sense. A lot of this makes but, sense, though. But if there was any warning from this entire episode, it's that just because it makes sense doesn't mean it's correct. Exactly. Uh, because we mentioned this a few times. Put that pin in mm -hmm. it. Uh, we're going to take that pin out because a very uh, sort of keen thing to be aware of with all of this is when they do these studies you are looking at a point in time, a snapshot in time of when someone does this study. It might be when the siblings are, are 18, 14, and 9. You do that same study with that same family when, you know, 10 years later, mm -hmm. and they might you might get wildly different results on who these people are and what their personality is like. Right. So it's, you know, you really have – there's so many things to account for. I don't know that you can draw some sweeping conclusion like everyone keeps desperately trying to do. Right. Yeah, and it makes sense, too, because, I mean, it's called the perfect age compound. If you're looking at just a snapshot in time, of course the 18-year-old oldest born is going to be more conscientious than the 9-year-old baby of the family. That's just how it works. That has to do with growing up, right? Not where you were born in, in, the, in your sibship, your position. And then also, of course, the 9-year-old is going to be more likely to wander off into the woods and, and have fun with their friends than the 18-year-old. That's just part of being young. So that definitely explains it quite a bit to me, if you ask me. Yeah. And I, I think where I end up is like, I think there is a lot to birth order. And I think it's it, it's bound to have an effect on who you turn out to be, uh, along with a lot of other factors in your life. But I think it's one of them. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, well, Chuck said he thinks it's one of them, which of course triggers listener me. I'm going to call this uh, a follow-up on Francis Kelsey, which I thought was pretty cool. We did a a shorty recently on Francis Kelsey, mm -hmm. uh, one of the heroes of the FDA. And we got a letter from Katie uh, entitled, My Sister's Hero was Francis Kelly. Mm -hmm. uh, Dearest Josh, Chuck, Jerry, and Dave's spirit. Dave appreciates that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, you guys have no idea how thrilled I was to listen to today's short stuff about Francis Kelsey. Uh, this woman is my sister, 
Sarah's hero. Like, Sarah put a portrait of Dr. Kelsey in her child's nursery mm -hmm. hero. Wow. Uh, my sister Sarah has been telling us for years about the important contribution that Kelsey made to public health and women's health as a whole, but specifically to maternal, infant, child, and adolescent health. Uh, and that sounds, after I read this, I was like, oh man, I wish we could have done a, a full thing on Francis Kelsey. Mm. Sarah works tirelessly in adolescent sexual health, despite all the fire public health has been under for the past few years. Her devotion to protecting the health of teens, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, or citizen status makes me proud to be her sister. I'm so happy a public servant was highlighted on your show. Thanks from the bottom of my heart from uh, for sharing this story so more will know about Dr. Kelsey's work. Uh, it's from a longtime listener, Katie. Uh, Katie, this is great. And Sarah, love that you're doing this good work. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And I'm curious about your birth order now. Very nice. That was a great email, Katie. That was a very sweet thing to, to send us. So thank you for it. And Hats off to you too, Sarah, like Chuck said. And if you want to look up to your older sibling or younger sibling or whatever, uh, we'd love to hear that. You can send it to us in an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 